We're ready for the word of God? Yeah. Awesome. Two of us. That's encouraging. And uh, we're going through the book of Romans, and I want to start where we finished last week. We had a powerful Sunday, last Sunday, where we landed at a place of God wanting to pour out his peace on us. Uh, we're up to Romans chapter 7, and, um, and I touched on actually Psalm 23, which many of you are familiar with, but if you're not, uh, let's just have a look at I'm going to pass through that. Let's have a look at this. We love Psalm 23. It's one of my most favourite. I'm going to rewind back to my title slide. Um, maybe if this one's still left. There we go. We're up to Romans chapter 7. And it's talking about the two tensions. Remember I started last week about um, our life is full of tensions to manage. Uh, there's a struggle going on. And when we talk about our spiritual selves, there's an old nature where we were born into sin. The world is full of sin. We can't avoid it. We're born into it because of the decisions made by Adam and Eve right at the beginning of mankind, sin entered the world. And so we are born into sin. That's the old nature. But then there's this new nature that we adopt when we give our lives to Jesus Christ and he takes over. He's paid the price and the penalty of our sin at the cross. And Anita talked about it so well around the communion time, what Jesus has done for us. But that ushers us into this new nature. But there's this tension between the old and the new. And that's why I touched on Psalm 23, where it talks about uh, God leading us to a place of peace. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, not rough, sketchy grass that we've got at the moment because we haven't had rain and we're lying down on that and it's all ouchy. 
the green pastures and he leads me beside still waters, not tsunamis, not raging typhoons and weather that's psycho, but still waters. The Lord wants to lead us to a place of peace. Tension tries to remove that peace, doesn't it? And, and so there's this ongoing tension to manage between our old nature and our new nature. And Romans chapter 7 uh, is all about uh, talking about the purpose of the law and its role in leading us to the new nature. And a lot of misinterpretation comes when reading the book of Romans and people get law heavy and they, they, they feel like you've got to meet the standard and you've got to follow, it's encouraging you to follow the law. But no, no, it's explaining that the law plays its role in our journey towards the new nature. The law shines a light on our sin. And it says, here's what you should be doing. And it shows us that we're not doing that, but it doesn't condemn us. It just identifies that we need a savior to help us to overcome our uh, inefficiency in meeting the standard. None of us can meet the standard, not in our own strength. And that's why we need Jesus. So we're not gonna watch that again. We're gonna go straight into chapter seven, verse 12 of Romans. So if you're following along, I read from the New King James uh, version. Uh, and so this is what it says next in uh, verse 12. Therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. And so what is going on here, it's not glorifying the law in the sense that it's, it's the answer and it's how we're going to be saved because it's holy. No, 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 that's a misunderstanding. The law is holy because the law comes from God. After arguing for the goodness of law, which is what he's done right up through, Paul's done right from verse 1 to verse where we're up to now, 12, uh, Paul concludes his, his statements by making it absolutely clear that the law is holy, righteous, and good. Paul wants to dispel any remaining false understandings of what the law actually is. And so he gives it the highest commendation that you can give, saying that it is holy. Because the Lord is holy. You know what holy means, don't you? It's set apart. It's set apart. And so he calls the law holy in the hope that people would understand that God set the law for a specific purpose, not to condemn us. The law is not meant to condemn. It's meant to highlight our need for a saviour. If you're feeling condemned, it's because you don't have a revelation that Jesus makes up for your inefficiency or your insufficiency or your inability to meet the standard. Um, we had a men's brekkie yesterday. All the men give me a hoo. Cool, it's like three of them here. No, we had good men's brekkie. And, uh, and this is pretty cool what happened at the end because it gives me an illustration of what the law is not meant to do. And so the person that I'm about to talk about isn't part of our church and isn't here, so I'm not embarrassing them. Uh, most of the men there yesterday probably didn't know who he was either. But, but he came along to the men's brekkie. And we had this amazing morning, didn't we, Marcus? Marcus shared his testimony in even greater detail. Uh, you heard a little bit, if you were here last Sunday, about Marcus's story of, of just his life being just uh, consumed by addiction and, and uh, again, inefficiency in meeting the standard and, and realising that and trying in his own strength his whole life to try and overcome till he finally got to the point in June this year where Marcus surrendered his life to Jesus Holy and completely. He'd done it before, but this time it was 
everything, God. Take everything, not just the little bits I'm willing to share with you, but take every part of me. And I think everyone in our church can testify to the difference we can see in Marcus since he's done that and uh, the transformation in his life. That's what it's all about, the law pointing out the sin, realising I need to hand it all over to Jesus and then seeing a transformed life. You know, back to this awesome guy who came and he thought he was being helpful. At the end of the meeting, we had this awesome breakfast and encouragement. And uh, I don't know, there was four or five men wearing caps. There's some people wearing caps or hats today. Please leave them on. It's fine. Uh, and he just said, whenever someone starts a sentence like this, uh, I'm not meaning to be judgmental, but you know straight away, oh, hang on, it's about to come out of this man's mouth. And so I was on guard because I'm, I'm the shepherd, right? I'm protective of my flower and I don't know who this guy is or what he's going to say. And then he went down the path of when two or three are gathered, well, the Lord is there. Do we all agree with that? I think everyone is going to understand that. Yes, we agree. And then he goes, so therefore, I think the men wearing caps, though, they need to remove their caps because the Lord is here. And I just went, oh, hang on a minute. And I just basically, without being, I don't think I was rude. Was I rude? No, I'm getting, okay, I wasn't rude. But I just cut him off and I just said, look, I appreciate what you're saying, but... Um, I believe that the Holy Spirit wisdom would be in this situation that if you have a problem with a brother or with something that they're doing, you go to them privately and have a talk to them about it rather than in the open here. Because doing it in the open is being judgmental, isn't it? It's like, I want to point out faults in all these people in front of everyone to point out the faults and be judgmental, even though you say I'm not judgmental. That's using the law to bring condemnation. So straight away, there were different men in the group. I'm not going to point out who they were, but I could see different reactions. So some of them took their caps off straight away because they thought, oh, don't offend this guy. Others sort of just looked a little bit shocked or whatever. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. If we were to follow the logic of that, when two or three are gathered, the Lord's there, don't wear a hat because he's there, we'd all die of sun cancer. Don't you agree? You can only wear a hat when you're by yourself. That's a bit interesting, isn't it? The law was being used to condemn. That's not what it's designed for. It's designed to create a standard and, and to point out sin so that we know we need Jesus. The other thing you've got to do when you read scripture, because the scriptures that he was using to justify the happening, you've got to be culturally aware of the time that the writings were written and what was culturally relevant at the time. We were in my backyard having a breakfast. I think you can wear a cap. Uh, you know, we're in church today, some guys wearing caps. That's fine. That's fine. I don't think this puts a barrier between you and the Holy Spirit communicating with you. Uh, that's between you and the Lord. Read the scriptures, whatever your conviction is. Uh, but, but if we judge people because they're doing something that perhaps we're not familiar with, we're being judgmental. We're using the law to condemn. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is everyone with me? Yes. Some people are nervous grinning at me or something like that. <laughs> Verse 13, let's keep moving on. Don't fault the law. The law, you've got to understand the purpose of the law. You've got to understand why it's there. And it's not to bring point fingers and bring condemnation. If you feel condemned when someone brings something against you, the Lord leads us beside still waters. He makes us lie down in green pastures. If there's any sort of lack of peace which condemnation brings, is the Lord in that? Something to think about. Verse 13 says this. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. So it's law versus sin in these comments here in this scripture. 
Paul's pondering this question, has then what is good, so the law is good, become death to me? Is the law causing death to me? Is that even possible? What was the relationship between the law and death? You know, was it possible for the law to produce death in a person? No, certainly not, the scripture says. It's not the law that produces death in individuals, it's the sin. And this is where the confusion comes. People think because the law points out sin that the law is causing the death. No, the law is holy. The law is God's standard for living. We're never going to meet the standards of the law, therefore we are sinful. Sinfulness in us causes death. And we need a saviour to pay the price for us on our behalf. Sin uses that which is good, which is the law, as an instrument to produce death in a person. That's what it does. This happens because we can't keep the standard of God's righteousness. Not one person in this room in their own strength and ability can be perfect. We probably have that desire. Man, I'd love to be like Jesus, want to be the hands and feet of him. But we can't achieve it because otherwise we'd be God, right? We can't be God. We can't in our own ability and strength be perfect. So sin produces death in us. But as believers, we know that Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty for our sin so that we didn't have to pay that price. Paul concludes that because sin uses the law to bring death, sin reveals itself as truly despicable. Who remembers, uh, there's a Daffy Duck that said it. I won't say it like that because it'll put spit everywhere. It's like, despicable or something. And that's what it is. Sin is, we, we need to dislike and detest sin as believers. It's part of who we are because we're born into sin, but we don't have to like it. It's despicable. So the law triumphs because it's good and holy. It points out sin every time. It fully exposes sin for the evil thing that it is. Let's keep going. Verses 14 to 16. Here we go. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. For what I hate, that I do. What a conundrum our life is. <laughs> if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Because it's pointing out that which I don't want to do, but I end up doing anyway. It's called sin. Paul switches his tense here. You can easily miss that when reading the scripture. But now he is referring to this in present tense. So I believe he's now switched his writing to address the battle that's within him that day he's writing this letter. He's referring to his present struggles with sin. So we can relate. We have a daily struggle with sin. Don't tell me you don't, because if you don't, I want what you're having. But we all have our struggles every single day. There are challenges. There are things that we, we struggle with and, and that are difficult. To, and that it's just a battle. It's the ongoing tension between the old versus the new. And praise the Lord for air conditioning. Turn it on. This one's on 25, 24. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Who would have thought air conditioning in September in uh, Stanford? Oh, it's October now. Did anyone wake up early today because of daylight saving and your phone being an issue? <laughs> yeah, there's, there, okay, here we are. Anyway, I remember one year we had, um, we love our Islander friends. Were your phones okay? No problem with your phone this morning? One year we had maybe 
30 or 40 islanders turn up to church at quarter past eight, which would have been quarter past nine, which is about on par with island time coming to church. But they got here at quarter past eight because all their phones were wrong and they thought it was time to come. So that was good. We had them early that day. <laughs> but our phones have these settings. Many of us have changed them now, so it never happens again. But And you get caught into the daylight saving thing. Anyway, Paul is wondering why he can't control the advance of sin within him. And I think we all struggle with that. We all struggle with that. We, why can't I suppress this thing? Why can't I make it go away? And he, he has the right attitude. He wants to do what is right. So he says, I want to do what is right, but then I do what I don't want to do. He wallows in the mud and it consumes his heart and soul. And I think every believer has their moments where they struggle, just like this, where you struggle with it. Why is this going on? Why do I keep going around the mountain? He believes in God, but perhaps he's wondering where God is. I believe in you, Lord. I know you can help me overcome this thing, whatever my sin is. But I just keep traversing back. Where are you? And this is the conflict that I think many believers struggle with daily. Why can't I overcome this? Paul discovers there's a he discovers that there's a difference between what he wants to do and what he actually does. And he records that. He says he's sold under sin. He's got no means to pay the penalty to get out of that condition. He is sold to sin. He's got no assets. He's got no capital to put towards paying and getting rid of that debt. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. So death is the payment. So you can agree that the law is good, but the law is powerless to change him. Because all it does is it makes you go back to the law. I'm just going to try a bit harder to do what the law says. And then you muck up again. The law can't save you. It's unable to give you the resources that you need to fulfill the demands that it's asking of you. All it can do is give you a list of things, God's holy standard, and, and show you that you can't meet them on your own. So it points you to a saviour. It points you to Jesus. So this law is considered good, but it can't save you. So when Paul says the law is spiritual, he's talking about the source of the law, which is God. And, and, and God is, is the spirit. And when he says he is unspiritual, he's contrasting himself with the nature of the law. The law was pure, but he was full of sin. And so he could not meet that standard. Until he goes through a process, and it's one of those Christianese words, if you're a new believer and you hear the word sanctification, you're like, well, what's that? It's one of those big Christianese words, and many Christians in the room will know what that means. But to be sanctified is to become righteous in character and practice. In other words, to become holy. It's a process that we go to called sanctification. But that process for the believer is full of conflict. Remember the tensions? As we're being sanctified and made pure in the eyes of God, there's the battle between the old nature and the new, and the enemy loves it. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and the only power he has is deception. So he tries to trick you to go, oh, well, you're still that, you're still that same person that did that thing. You're still, that'll never go away, you know. That's always going to be in your memory. That's what the enemy does. He gets in your ear. 
You've probably seen old school cartoons with the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other and they're whispering into the ears of whoever it is, trying to convince them what, what they should think and say and do. That's what it is. The enemy preys on that. He, he loves your old nature, loves to bring attention to it, to raise it up again and to remind you of your failings and your shortcomings and the things that you've stuffed up and the bad decisions that you've made. So I want your intention between the old and the new. But what I love about Paul and his writings in Romans is that he doesn't retreat from life's conflicts, but he puts him squarely in life's path. He's, he's forward, facing it head on. And we'll never find answers by hiding. So Paul doesn't go and retreat into a cave until he figures this all out. He's there writing a letter and confessing his experience to people via a letter so that it would help them. That's what God wants us to do. We've all been on a journey. We've all got mistakes we've made, things we've done. But we can encourage people on that same trajectory, that same path, with the goodness of God in our lives. The good things that he's done, the breakthroughs that he's brought you through. I love how Anita was, again, referring to think about the times when God has done something. If you're, if you're in a difficult place, focus on those times when God has come through for you and know that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's done it before. He'll do it again. And then you can use that as a testimony of his goodness. We are walking, living, breathing testimonies of the goodness of God. Yeah. And the enemy will do whatever he can to suppress you and stop you from shining the light of Jesus in and through your life experience so that others will come to know him. He doesn't want you to do that. And so he brings up the old nature again. Oh, yeah, you got through that. But remember this. Remember that. And it silences you. That's the ongoing tension between the old versus the new. Paul wanted his life and the lives of those he was responsible to teach to express what it means to live for the glory of God. And so that's why he's sharing his own experience. And we're called to do likewise. We're called to be walking, living, breathing testimonies of the goodness of God. This is how he might have for people feel bewitched, bothered and bewildered because of that old nature tension. But the new nature says, no, we're more than conquerors. We are victorious because of what Christ has done for us. We don't need to be bound up by our past. Our chains are broken and we now can live in this new nature, this new life. And we can speak to the old nature and say, Hush, maybe in more colourful terms depending on the upbringing. Uh, but you would hush it, just say, be quiet. Shh. I don't need to hear that anymore because I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. All right, verses 17 to 20. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So now he's identifying this sin in me. For I know that in me, and that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. He is recognising this noble struggle that every believer faces every single day of your life. And that is the struggle between having the right heart and intention and wanting to do what is right, but balancing the old nature, the tension to manage, where we have sin and we do the wrong thing and we make mistakes. And, and it's how we deal with those things in tension with the new nature, knowing that under Christ there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
That's why when someone brings up the law and tries to condemn, well, that's not that's not the Lord. That's that's man going. Well, you're not meeting a standard, so in my eyes you're failing, and I'm going to point it out. That, that's that's not the, the idea of how we're supposed to live our lives. We're supposed to be encouragers. We are supposed to be people who nurture, particularly un, unbelievers who are yet to make a decision. A couple of men at the brekkie, I'm quite sure, haven't surrendered their life to Jesus yet. And here they are listening to someone talking about hats. There's so much more at stake here, don't you think? Like somebody's future, like their salvation. Let's talk on those things, that, those things that, that matter. It's a noble struggle. So, so Paul's debunked the idea that the law is sin. It's not. The law is the law and it points out and highlights our sin. And then he addresses the question, well, do believers struggle with the law too? Well, of course we do. Because the law is the instrument that points out our sin. And so he answers by sharing from his own experience as a believer trying to keep the law. And that's where he goes on. He talks about his will. You know, his will, his determined intention to do good. I think if we went around the room, everyone here wants to do good. We're not here to cause harm today. We're not here to consciously do the wrong thing and upset somebody's apple cart. When our desire is to do good, but in being people, we muck up. We rub people the wrong way. Maybe we say something and someone misunderstands it and then there's a tension and friction. It's just the nature of, of, of life. I want to read a paraphrase from, starting from verse 15 of Romans chapter 7, because when you paraphrase, maybe it makes it a little easier to understand. So it says this, I don't understand my own actions. I don't do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. That makes it a bit easier to understand, doesn't it? Because I don't want to do the things I do. It's clear that I agree that what the law says is good and right. So the law is pointing out sin. That's what makes it good. I'm that much in harmony with God, but somehow I'm not in control of my own actions. It's every believer's experience. How we feel God. We may even be in a service where you just sense the Holy Spirit is touching you and it's just awesome and you love it. And then you go out and you do something silly the next day. It's, it's the conflict to manage the tension between the old and the new. I'm that much in harmony with God that somehow I'm not in control of my own actions. I still go and do that which I don't want to do. Some sinful force within takes over and acts through my body. We, we often don't control when we do the wrong thing. In hindsight, we look and go, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But that's why they say hindsight's a beautiful thing, isn't it? To be able to look back on what's happened. Just because we struggle with sin, this is so important. And I reckon there are people in the room here today that came here just to hear this statement. Just because we struggle with sin doesn't mean we're not Christians. That's going to set someone free today. There's people in the room that hold you hold yourself to such a high standard. And, and, and am I knocking that? Well, no, it's good to want to... But, but then you condemn yourself because, oh, well, I'm not meeting the standard, so how could I call myself a Christian? How could I say I'm a follower of Jesus when I'm, I'm doing this thing? Well, no, we struggle with sin because we're born into a sinful world. Am I saying something that allows sin? No, I'm not. But what I'm saying is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So don't condemn yourself. We're our own worst critics, aren't we? People, people are their own worst critics. We're so hard on ourselves. Just because we struggle with sin doesn't mean we're not Christians. 
It takes self-control and diligence to overcome the temptations that the world around us presents. And it's not easy. Christ fought and won the final battle over sin, but we need to apply that victory to our daily lives. Every day. That's why the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling every single day. Do it daily. Because this is a constant struggle. And Satan loves to whisper to us, bring up the old nature, bring us down, tell us we're failing. He loves to whisper and say things like, well, you deserve this. You deserve the punishment, the penalty. You deserve it. Often we find setting a rigid list of rules easier to follow than examining and changing our wrong attitudes and motives. And I think that's why people sometimes gravitate to more of a religion type belief. Because, well, if I can tick those boxes, then I'm doing all right. But it's not about that. Christianity is conviction-based living, living according to what the Word of God speaks to you. So I'm not going to be all high and mighty and be up here and give you this list of check boxes that you need to tick to then say, well, now you can call yourself a Christian. Just because we sin, that doesn't make us not a Christian. Our belief in Jesus, our love for him and all that he's done, our appreciation and our surrender to him, that's what matters. And when you do that, life doesn't become perfect. I wish it did. Man, it would make pastor's job way easier if we could just become perfect when we accept Jesus. We still manage the tension. Old nature, new nature. We never make it. We're always battling. We're always fighting. But when I say that, don't misinterpret me and think that life's a struggle. It doesn't have to be a struggle. But when you surrender to Jesus, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside green pastures and still waters. It's not a struggle. If it's a struggle, is the Lord in it? Something to think about. Let's move on. Verses 21 to 25 says this. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's the focus. Paul continues to outline his experience. He's carefully thought out what he's observing, what he's feeling, and he's communicating that in this letter to the Romans. And he's doing it so others could benefit from his experience. He's trying to help people not go through the same heartache that he experienced. Again, is that not our job? Have we not had experiences in life that could be of benefit and a blessing to others before they get there? God wants to use you powerfully to help people on life's journey and overcome a number of dilemmas. The first dilemma is from verses 15 to 16 we read earlier. For what I am doing I do not understand, but what I hate, that I do. Out of this dilemma, Paul is discovering since he cannot do what he wills to do, it confirms the law is good. It confirms that the law is pointing out sin and that we need a saviour. But that's a dilemma to overcome. We need to understand the purpose of the law and why we need Jesus. And the law helps us achieve that. The second dilemma from verse 20, he comes to an important insight saying, Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin 
that dwells in me. So he's come to the conclusion that nothing good is in us. That's another dilemma. When you go up to an unbeliever, one of the first things I'll say is, oh, I'm a good person. Yeah, I do. I do all right. I, live, you know, I care about people and stuff. I'm good. But they don't have the revelation that there's nothing good in us. There's no, You might have good intentions. That's fine. But there's, there's nothing good in you. Christ is that goodness we need to seek to overcome the evil that is actually within us because of sin. So that's a dilemma. Here's the last dilemma. Verses 21 to 23 that we just read here. Paul uh, is expressing this. Evil is present within me. And it presents a moment in Paul's processing, I guess, as he's writing this letter. He's acknowledging that everyone is presented with a choice. A choice between obeying the evil within us or a choice between embracing the new uh, creation that we are in Christ Jesus. Do we hold on to the old? Do we embrace the new? Do we understand there's a tension to manage consistently between the two? Uh, it's a dilemma that Paul experienced. I mean, Paul delighted in the law. He was, he was a Pharisee. And, and the conflict was driving him to only do the, the law and make the law almost his God. But then he has the experience on the road to Damascus. And the Lord opened his eyes to the new creation that he could become. That the law wasn't his answer, but that Christ was the answer to overcome the sin that was within him. You know, the expression, oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's exactly where Paul was when he was on that road. Who will deliver me? Who can save me? And then God comes. What an encounter he had with Jesus. See, God's laws aren't meant to keep us God's laws are meant to keep us from harm. They're meant to help us. They're meant to keep us from sorrow on the earth and death in eternity. But they don't save us. They point out the sin in our life. And when we learn this, we want to obey God. We want to obey His law because the law points out the sin. And so we want to do what's good. Our heart intention changes when the new creation comes. We want to do that which is right. But still there's that constant struggle that we do that which we don't want to do. You know, the psalmist speaks of, of the spiritual man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. I've got it here. And we can't do it in our own strength. But when we read this, Psalm 19, verses 7 to 9 encourages us. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the law are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It opens our eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The law is holy. It plays its purpose and its role in identifying sin. But you can be a Christian and still and still struggle with that tension because we never make it. We always need the Holy Spirit to help us and guide us and give us wisdom, help us with good choices. Now, God's laws are meant to keep us from harm, but Jesus has come to lead us to a place of peace. Let's read the last. Let's read this one. Romans 7. 
25 So with, then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. This is the summary of the struggle. Paul takes a step back at the conclusion of this chapter, and we're at the end. Jeremy, would you come right He takes a step back to summarise the struggle, the balancing of the tensions. One part of him is a slave to God, while another part of him is a slave to sin. He's torn between the two. And when we get to the next chapter, chapter 8, when we start looking at that, we'll see how Paul puts the resolution of this tension into everyday practice. But right now, I just want to encourage every single person under the sound of my voice, in the room, online, at home, and hello to people watching online. I think my brother's watching online. Hello, Clayton, if you're still watching. <laughs> Who met Clayton last weekend? He's all right, isn't he? Yeah. We'll have you back. Come back. Uh, I firmly believe there are people here that are bound up because you're so hard on yourself. You're so hard on yourself. You don't meet God's standard and say, well, how could I possibly call myself a Christian? How can I possibly be a believer? How, how, can I, how, how can I talk about faith or the things of God when I'm so bound up? But Jesus came to break every chain. He either did or he didn't. There's no middle ground here. I'm not a fence sitter. It's either he came to break every chain or he didn't. So why are we so hard on ourselves? I think our natural inclination is to want to do the right thing. To want to do good, we've got that will. I want to do what is right. I want to make choices that are true and correct, and that's how I want to live. But then I do that which I don't want to do, and I stuff up, and I make a mistake. Maybe I yell at the kids, or I, you know, kick the dog, or I don't know what you do, strangle the cat, whatever it is. <laughs> Scream at the TV when the grand finals on. Say things we didn't mean to say. I don't know. That, that's tension. So that was real tension. The struggle was real yesterday. But we, but we won. It's all good. It's all good. I think the heart rates are still down the trajectory. <laughs> but we do, don't we? We say the wrong thing. We do the wrong thing. And then in hindsight, we're like, why did I do that? And then we're hard on ourselves because that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to put you down under his thumb. And he wants you to focus on all your faults and all your things you've done wrong, all the bad choices you've made, all the things you shouldn't have said to your wife or your husband. He wants you to focus on those things, but, but what Jesus wants you to do is realize that he came so that every chain would be broken. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the sooner you can be set free from the condemnation you put on yourself, the sooner your relationship with God's going to flourish to a whole new level, to another realm. Like God's just going to come and, and, and he's going to move powerfully in and through you because you're going to be free. So let's all stand to our feet as I bring the service to a close this morning. And I'm going to believe for God to set people free from that condemnation that you put on yourself. I mean, maybe it's condemnation others put on you like old mate had yesterday. God bless him, we love him. But I think more what God's putting his finger on today is how we put ourselves down. And we are so hard on ourselves to the point where it affects our relationship with God. So if that means something to you, I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. But before I do, if you need Jesus, every meeting at Vineyard, we like to give opportunity for people to meet Jesus. If you need to know him in a personal way, 
that relationship is available to you today. I gave my heart to the Lord when I was 17. I wish I did it earlier, but that was my path. And God transformed my life. I wasn't, I wasn't this big, evil, sinning, drug lord type dude. That wasn't my conversion experience. I was a good person. I was one of those ones who were kind of, you're a good person? You're not a good person. My parents brought me up with good morals, do the right thing, all of that. But I didn't have Jesus. And when I met him, I just realized that that piece of the puzzle in my life was now in place. Because we all need him. We all need him. He's the one that died for our sins so that we could be made free from every chain that I'm talking about. So if you need Jesus, why don't you just respond? Lift up your hand and say, Pastor Jeremy, that's me. I need Jesus this morning. I need more of him in my life. I need to surrender my life afresh. Can I see those hands? So good. So good. There's such a freedom that comes when you give your life over to him. We want to stay in control. That's our inclination. I want to, I want to be in control. I want to make the choices. But when we finally let go, and thank you again, Marcus, for your great testimony of what you've experienced since you did that. Man, a freedom comes. Condemnation goes. And you can be all who you are called to be. Let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you came and that you died for me so that every chain could be broken. That I'm no longer condemned. But I now embrace life the new life that you have given me because you paid the price with your death on the cross. I'm now free. So I choose to believe in you. I confess with my mouth, you are my Lord and I'm going to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Give him praise and thank you for people being released, every chain being broken, and lives being surrendered. Now, this moment is for the, for the people that just need to be released from condemnation. If that's you, just every, every eye closed. Let's just give a moment for people to respond. We don't need to be looking around. Oh, yeah, I knew that person would be We do that. We do that. <laughs> If you want to respond and if you want to be free from condemnation that you put on yourself or for that others put on you, why don't you just lift up your hands in his presence? Right now, hands going up all over the place. Thank you, Jesus, for freedom. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for transforming us today from the inside. God, I pray for every single person with their hand raised that today would be the day that the chain of condemnation is loosed in Jesus' name that the unrealistic standards that we put on ourselves would be broken in Jesus' name, that we would understand today that even though we struggle with the two tensions, that the, the old and the new, we are still Christians and believers who love Jesus, that sin doesn't set us apart from you, but Lord, it makes us run to you ever so quickly. God, that you would move in power in our lives. And so Lord, I thank you that every chain of condemnation is broken in the name of Jesus today, loosed in Jesus' name, that we could become all that you've called us to be. We want to live for you. We want to hear from you. We want to do your will. And so, God, we believe today we are free 
so that we can run the race that you've called us to run. Lord, I pray that every single person in this room would be blessed with hearing your voice, the encouraging, fatherly, encouraging voice. Well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, that the voice of the enemy that tries to bring us down and distract us would be so ever quiet and muted. We don't want to hear from you, enemy. You have no stronghold in this place, in children of the Most High God. Be gone in the name of Jesus. Every chain loose today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Praise Him and thank Him. Thank you for what He's done.